in Sundays like this where the passing the peace really means so much to me as one of your pastors. It's a week like this where I'm convinced how much we need the peace of God. I don't know what's happening, but my prayer list for you keeps growing. And the stories that come in week after week of heartache, of of difficulty, of cancer, of death, of separation, of marriages that are struggling, of deep financial issues, pain and sorrow, pain of the past, pain in the present. It's amazing how much we really suffer and how much pain is here this morning. And how much we need the peace of God. You would think this world is cursed or something. I mean, the the, the world we live in. All that is happening around us. All that is happening inside of us. What baggage do you bring today? What, What brokenness? What deep hurt? I mean, it hurts so much that you just want me to stop talking about it before someone sees you well up with tears. I mean, the stories keep coming. And the stories of people I love, the stories of family, hurt. Don't you want to say sometimes, who's responsible for it all? I don't know about you, but I am world class when it comes to blame. If you ask my family if I've done anything wrong, they'll probably say, I don't think he's admitted to it yet. He's usually got a good excuse, and he can blame others. I mean, if I lose something, it's someone else's fault. Whatever I do, somehow I'm going to find an angle where I could at least shift some of the blame on someone else. And by God's grace, he's given me four kids. They're easy targets. (laughs) Wife of 20 years, another easy target. Congregation. I mean, a lot of ways to... uh, to really shift around this blame. But you, i got to tell you, you know where I got this from? I got it from our parents. I did. No, no, no. I got it from our parents. I didn't misspeak. You may want to say, oh, you got it from your parents. No, I got it from our parents. You see, our very first parents, Adam and Eve, made in God's image, given an incredible job to attend God's Garden of Eden and to bring that peace and glory of God throughout the entire earth, they messed up. And guess what happened when they messed up? It was amazing. When they sinned against God and disobeyed God, what may seem to be a minor little deal with eating some forbidden fruit, changed the cosmos. Every curse that we're still wrestling with can be linked back. Every death, every pain, every sin. The ripple effects continue to roll. And what do our first parents do? They play the, name, the blame game. You know, the Lord looks for them, knows where they are, but looks when they're hiding. That's what sin will do. It will separate us from God. We'll want to hide from Him, knowing that we're defiled. And God is going to seek us out because He's a merciful, loving God. Hallelujah. And He finds sinners even today. And what happens? They start blaming the woman. Well, it's this serpent here. I mean, this serpent, he's crafty. He's, he just he told me things that I thought were right. And he pointed me in a direction I thought was right. And it's a serpent. It's a serpent's fault. God cursed the serpent. 
and on his belly he crawls. He turns to man and says, what about you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you standing up for your wife? Where were you protecting her? Where were you? How come you were silent? You were there. What happened? What's this woman you gave me? I mean, it's this woman, it's this one you gave me here. I mean, she, she messed me up. I mean, she led me astray. It's, it's, it's her fault. And basically, it's your fault for giving her to me. It's amazing how we play that blame game. But really, the question we want to wrestle with is this. Is there any cure for the suffering? Is there any way that the curse can be reversed? Is there any hope? We are spending some time looking through a series called Far as the Curse is Found. Uh, the answer to this week's sermon and every week's sermon is going to be Jesus. So the answer is Jesus. Very good. Um, and we are going to see that very clearly. So far we've seen that He is the answer through the resurrection. The, ver- the, the curse can be reversed. Last week we looked at the fact that this Jesus is Lord of creation. He created all things for His own glory. He's also Lord of recreation. And this week we're going to look at Jesus as the second Adam that the Bible calls. The one who was promised to come. The one that would do all that which the first Adam failed to do. The Bible tells us a story. It's a story of God redeeming and rescuing us. we got to make sure we understand that. It's not man's attempt to reach to God. God's story is His coming to us. And when we've defiled ourselves, when we've disqualified ourselves, when we deserve God's wrath instead of His mercy and love, when we have brought death and curses upon us, God loves us enough to rescue us. But God's story really can be seen uh, parenthetically with two warriors. Two warriors that represented us perfectly. We call them our federal head. They represented us. And the first being Adam. Adam being God's image. Adam being God's friend. God's lover. One to have an incredible role with God. And God's warrior. He was, in a sense, a gladiator for God. He was to go and drive out darkness. And wherever there was chaos, he was to bring peace. He was to battle with God's enemies and win. And he failed. And like it or not, according to God's word, according to the Bible, Adam, this first man that God made in his image, he represented all of us. He was our gladiator. He, we were there with him. Because he was our parent, all of us descended from him naturally uh, as as the world, as they began to procreate and as the world was filled, we can all trace back to Adam. And because we were there, we fell with him. His failure is our failure. We sinned with him. And that's why death and the curse is here. But scripture tells us of another warrior, of God's own son. The one who would love God so much and love sinners so much that he would come and he would become man. For God to have the victory, man had to obtain it. Man had to obtain this victory. So Jesus had to be fully man and fully God. Jesus had to defeat our enemy and God's enemy and battle as a warrior. And because of his victory, we can have victory. It's interesting to think of the battle. The first battle, the first Adam, he had paradise. The first Adam, he had everything he could ask for. He, he was made holy without sin. He was made with a disposition to love God and be with God. He didn't know any sin. 
He was placed in a beautiful surroundings. He was lavish love upon him. Says, eat of anything you want, just one you just can't touch. And when temptation came, when Satan came, he fell. Jesus has to battle as a whole different warrior. His warrior scene is a lot different than paradise in the Garden of Eden. Sin has affected all of creation. And if you know the story in the Gospels, Jesus is driven out to the desert. And there he will battle and begin that battle and continue even to the point of the cross. You see, today, as we begin, you have to understand, according to the Bible, every one of you here, if you're new to this Christianity, if you're just wondering what this is all about, if you've been here for, uh, as a Christian for a long time, maybe you grew up this way, everyone here, according to God's word, you are being seen right now in light of one of two Adams and one of two warriors. Your life is marked, is, is living out or dying out because of the death of one Adam. Or your life is a reflection of the victory of the second Adam named Jesus. Now here's what I'm going to do. I told you, bring your Bibles. I've told you we're going to spend some time looking through God's Word the next several weeks. Uh, so we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, we're going to read a couple of verses in Genesis 2. We read for you mostly Romans 5, an incredible passage today that unpacks this. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, just a couple of verses there. But let's be mindful, we're reading God's holy, inerrant word. This story, this one story, I, I hope as we look into God's word through the story, you'll fall in love with the story. You'll fall in love with this word, that you'll hunger for more. You'll say, wow, I never knew. I never knew that it was all one story. I never knew it was all about Jesus. I never knew it was so alive, so active, and so impactful in my life. I hope that you and I will be like those walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus and our hearts would be on fire with this incredible story of a God who saves through his very own son. We pick up the story in Genesis 2. God has created all things. He has declared that they are good. He is now commissioning uh, Adam. He's given Adam a job. He's basically entering into a relationship with Adam, what we would call a covenant relationship with Adam, where he's promising Adam life. He's given Adam life. He says, now listen, Adam, I've made you for myself and my glory. I've made you for a job. I've given you life. And as you obey me, this life will perpetuate. You will have life as you obey me. So this is what we see in Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Don't get that. Sometimes we hear more of what Satan said. You can't eat all the trees of the fruit of the garden. No, they can have full reign of the garden. Um, you can surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Chapter 3, we're not going to look at today. I've referred to it in the last couple of weeks, and I encourage you to go back and read that again. Chapter 3 is the fall. Chapter 3 was the battle where man fell. Uh, man and women uh, disobeyed God. Clearly, he gave a parameter. We disobeyed it. And you'll see in chapter 3 the curses that came. The curses, they're still here. Death is still a problem. I mean, the curse of the, of the earth, 
all that we're doing, the cancer that's still prevalent, the families that are being torn apart, the death that seems to still reign, all because of one man's disobedience. Turn with me back to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to pick up again. Let's look at verse 12. Then we're going to skip to 17 through 21. Verse 12 says this. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that first Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned, all our sinners, and all sinned with Adam. Let's jump to verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned throughout, through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and through the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Listen to that. One sin. It's singular. One trespass, Adam's one trespass, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And lastly, let's look to 1 Corinthians 15. We started our series here. And I'm going to read verses 21 and 22 and 45. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21. For as by a man, Adam, came death... By a man, Jesus, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall be made alive. Skipping to verse 45, Paul will make this very clear. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. You see these two warriors... One, the first Adam, defeated, bringing death. The second, what the Bible calls the second Adam, the second true man of God, the ultimate man of God, bringing victory. Let us pray. Father, this is so important because your word clearly paints for us a picture of two men who have represented all of us. And even today, every single one who's come into this room comes in in one of these two Adams in your sight. Either they come here still covered in sin and death reigning because they haven't embraced Christ as Savior, or they come in here as your children in the victory of Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that we could understand this story. It's so important. So God, speak through a broken sinner. God, open up our ears to hear your word. Your voice. Open up our minds. May the Spirit illumine our minds so we understand what does this mean? So what? What does this now mean for our lives? God, open our minds so we understand. Father, empower our feet. For those who have yet to embrace your Son as champion, may today be the day. 
May you even now empower their feet to go and walk to follow Jesus. And Father, for those of us who are yours, may you truly, through the power of your Spirit, quicken us, give us life so we can walk in a manner worthy of our Savior's victory and our victory in Christ Jesus. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. We receive great challenge and joy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Scripture makes it clear that Adam did represent all of us. You see, sometimes we, we see the Bible story say, is that important? Is it important for us to believe in a literal Adam? Is it important for us to, to believe in a Garden of Eden? Does that make sense for my life? It seems so far away. It seems so long ago. I mean, it seems so much like a Bible story I heard. And Does it really affect me? Well, according to God's Word, very, very much so. Because there is, in God's Word, a literal Adam. And this little literal Adam represented us perfectly. And when he failed, we failed too. The Westminster Confession of Faith, that which uh, the PCA pastors here uh, adhere to as the doctrine biblically uh, that the Bible teaches um, and we ascribe to, says this. It says that the covenant that God made with Adam, promising him life, promising him a relationship with him, uh, as long as he obeyed, was not just for Adam, but it was for all of his children. And since all of mankind came from him, We all, ready for this, we all fell with Him. We all sinned in Him. And we all experienced what came because of that. How do you like that? This is why God sees you. What do you think of God? He's going to look at you and say, I think you're a sinner because one sinned in your place. I'm going to view you from the moment you're born, the moment you are conceived, as sinner, because there was a one named Adam that I made who was your gladiator, who was the one that stood in your place. And when he fell, you fell. And when he sinned, you sinned. And when he died, you died. And that's the consequence of sin. Paul says it this way. If you turn back to Romans 5, we're going to spend the rest of the time in Romans 5 to unpack this. So, well, I, I, I lied. We'll mostly be in Romans 5, as far as you know. Romans five eighteen says this, Therefore, as one trespass, again singular, clearly Adam's trespass, led to con- condemnation for all men. One trespass led to condemnation for all of us. We were all guilty because of him. He sinned, and God looked at us and said, Not only are you guilty, Adam, but everyone who comes after you is guilty as well. How do you like that? How does that make you feel? One who lived years and years and years ago, his guilt has been given to you. Now, we understand that because he sinned, his, he, he ruined his, his nature. He no longer had the ability not to sin. He became one who only had the ability to sin. And that corruption of his nature, commonly called original sin, is passed down to us. And maybe we can understand that, okay, uh, Adam messed up. He was perfect. He was holy. He was undefiled. He and Eve messed up. And because of that, everyone after them is broken. 
Everyone after them is, is broken in some way. But you're telling me that Adam's guilt was given to me as well? Yes. According to God's word, this is very, very important. Because some of you right now may say, why does this matter? And I don't like it, but I'll tell you what. If we don't get this, we don't get the good news. we got to understand the bad news because the bad news is bleak. But it makes the good news unbelievable. Adam's guilt was passed to us. And God looks at us broken because of a broken nature, but worse, condemned because we're sinners. Justly deserving his wrath and displeasure from the moment of conception. Is sin a big deal to God? I mean, is a little teeny eating a bit of forbidden fruit a big deal? It ruined the cosmos. It ruined the nature of man. It separated us from God. Death reigns because of it. Is it a big deal? You bet it's a big deal. We still feel the effects of it even today. And according to God's word, Adam's guilt, our guilt. Adam's sin, our sin. God sees us, apart from Christ Jesus, as in Adam, guilty and dead. The Westminster Confession tells us this, and it sums up very nicely what we fell into, what a state of sin, the sinfulness, that a state in which we fell into, consists of this, of Adam's first sin, the loss of original righteousness, that holiness has been lost and only can be restored through another. The corruption of our whole nature was passed on to us. It's, sins affect everything. It's affected our hearts. We don't know what to love. It's affected our minds. We can't even focus on the right things. It's affected our speech and our deeds. We can't even please God anymore. We can't. I mean, sin has had that incredible effect on us that Scripture will say, you're dead in it. Spiritually dead in our transgressions and sin. That his guilt was passed to us. And we sin because we are sinners. And because of this one transgression, look again at verse 17. Because of one man's transgression, death reigned through that one man. Death reigns. Do we live in a society where death reigns? How many loved ones have you buried this year? How many tears this year have you buried? How many tears have you shed over those you've lost? How many people do you care about are battling? The curse is real. You know, we may want to just rail up and say, this is not fair. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I I wasn't there in the garden. This is not fair. I I didn't know him from Adam. Didn't know him from Adam. Not fair that you're going to hold me accountable for someone else's actions. Not fair. That someone else messed it up for me. By the way, I truly believe that he perfectly represented us, meaning that we would have done the same. We would have messed it up. Don't you dare put yourself in the garden saying that you would have done right. I believe he did perfectly represent us, including our actions. And we may want to cry unfair, but let me ask this question. How often is this true in life? Where the actions of one affect the whole. Let's start off light. Your favorite team. Maybe one person decided to hold in football. They caught one guy, ten guys doing the right thing, one holding on for dear life because the guy's about ready to sack the quarterback. They throw the flag. 
Now, how about the coach running over and saying to the referee, now listen, I had 10 guys doing the right thing on that play. I just had one doing the wrong thing. He's a mess up. How in the world can you march off yards against the whole team here? How can you do that? You can't penalize us all for one. What about in business? What about an unshady deal that affects the entire business, your whole reputation, maybe even affects your stock, maybe even affects the, uh, the stockholders because of the actions of one? What about our reputation? You know what just drives me batty? We are family, and I love that. Usually that doesn't drive me batty, occasionally. But we are represented by so many. And there could be a third-grade soccer coach who's overzealous on the soccer field and who's playing another team that doesn't know that they're associated with Orangewood. And guess who hears about it? You won't believe the coach. They're from Orangewood. They represent Orangewood. And our whole reputation could be summed up because of the actions of one. Well... We could rail against and say it's not fair, but here, you got to hear this. Lean in. If you missed everything else, this is the time to come back to life and lean in. Because the fact that one represented us all and brought on a curse opens up a really marvelous door. A really, really marvelous door. That there might be one who could come to reverse the curse. There might be one who could come to represent us all and make us righteous. And justified and bring life, there might be one who could come and fix us all and enter into redemptive history the second Adam, the one that we've all been waiting for, the one that history has been longing for. And what Paul will say in Galatians 4 4 that in the fullness of time, in the perfect time, here came Jesus, born of a woman. Now, there's some things that we got to see that are very, very important. When we see this G- Jesus born of a woman, we got to understand this virgin birth deal is another big deal. I mean, there's some things we want to look at in our Bible and say, you know, that's really hard to believe. It's really hard to believe this conceiving of the Holy Spirit stuff. And can't we just think that Joseph and Mary g- had this child? Why does it have to be a virgin? Well, if it's not a virgin, this one's born like you and me, guilty. This one's born like you and me, condemned. This one's born like you and me, dead. And so God had to intervene in his plan and in such a marvelous way that of a woman's seed that was promised way back in Genesis 3 that this seed was going to come. And this beautiful line seen throughout all of Scripture. And that is why Paul makes it perfectly clear as well as the Gospel writers that this is... God's own son, born of a woman's seed, so there's no man's seed in there to bring that corruption, to bring that condemnation in. This is one who is holy and undefiled. If you take away the virgin birth, you take away Jesus. If you take away the virgin birth, you and I are no longer set free. We are still in our sins. It's important. And it's in the fullness of time that this warrior came. And I I love, again, as you read back through the Gospel accounts, see how he is tempted. See how his plight is so much different than the first Adam in paradise. He is battling in the midst of the elements of a cursed world for us. And oh, my brothers and sisters, listen, Jesus represented 
all of his own and succeeded. And because he succeeded, we succeed too. Listen, listen to what the gospel tells us. Listen to what God's word says to us. Through the obedience of one, life came to his family through the obedience of one. Jesus' righteousness makes us righteous. Look in verse 19 of Romans 5. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, is it important that he led a sinless life? You bet it was. Without it, we have no hope. Through his obedience that many will be made righteous. We sit here today in our seats one of two ways. Sinner or righteous. Not because of ourselves, but because of the two Adams. And certainly if we are in the first Adam and that sin has been passed on to us, we continue to sin. But unbelievably, through the obedience of one, we can be called righteous. Jesus' righteousness gives us our justification. 5.18, Therefore one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Listen, I told you very clearly that God's Word says that we're born guilty, we're born condemned, and we come out because this one warrior messed up for us, he messed up for all of us, but in Christ Jesus, the one who has earned victory for us, not guilty, not guilty. I break God's law every day, every moment. And deserve to be disbarred from God's presence. Have disqualified myself and made myself filthy in His sight. But in Christ Jesus' righteousness, He looks at me as if I've never sinned. And my believer, brother and sister, He looks at you that way as well. He looks at us better than just having the righteousness of man that's perfect. He looks at us with the righteousness of God. Do you want to know why he delights in us? Do you want to know why he lavishes a love upon us? Because that's the way he sees us. In Christ. Where is the condemnation? There is no more. No more in Christ Jesus. He has forever declared us not guilty in Christ. We've been set free. How can I say that now here? One, Amen. I mean, I know we're Presbyterians, but someone's got to get excited about that. And because of Jesus, not only are we now righteous and justified, life reigns, not death. 521. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Life now reigns. Oh, it still reigns plenty of a curse in our lives. We still see the pain and the effects of the fall all around us. But He who is with us and for us is greater than all that is in the world. The life that we have in Christ Jesus is eternal. The victory is secure. The grave truly was empty. The sacrifice truly was sufficient. The Father is no longer angry. He really is excited about us. The blood was sufficient. Our sins have really been covered. He's robed us in His righteousness and He really has made us beautiful. And the Father is never going to change His mind about us. 
Wow. So what's the so what? That's the what. What's the so what of today? The so what is this. Is as you come in here, you are one of two people in God's eyes. You are either dead in Adam's sin. Ephesians 2.1 makes that very clear. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. I read earlier 1 Corinthians 15.22 that in one man, Adam, all have died. Or you're alive in Christ's obedience. As Paul says in Ephesians 2.5 that we have been made alive in Christ Jesus. That which is dead. In Christ, 1 Corinthians 15.22, we do live. How is it with you? Which champion do you represent? Are you here in God's eyes, still living in the defeat of one Adam? Or are you here, robed in the victory of the second Adam? What do we do? Well, if you're here today and you are realizing that that first Adam represents you, you got to change champions, you got to replace warriors. You've got to embrace by faith, by God's grace, His Son, the ultimate champion and warrior. For those of us who are, by God's grace, a part of that victory, we've got to live our life with this reigning in Christ, knowing that we got to, as much as the world wants to remind us of our sin and our filth, we've got to continue to go back to this and say, you know what, before God, I am justified. Before God in Christ, I am righteous. That victory is secure. And guess what God gives us the privilege now to do? Carry that cure with you to others. You are his victory, and so am I, Christian. You are the living representation that God has earned a victory in Christ Jesus. And now he wants us to go proclaim that victory. That peace is yours and it's mine. But that peace is to be shared with those around us. You see, Jesus is the remedy. There is a curse. But Jesus is the remedy to that curse. Whose Adam are you? Is death reigning in your life? Or is life reigning? I'm going to pray, and the ushers are going to come forward. We're going to take our offering. But I'm going to ask you, just even as the plates go by and a song comes up, I want you to take some time to think about this in your own heart. Which Adam do you represent? Are you carrying that victory? The song we're going to sing is off of David Crowder's new CD called Remedy. Let me encourage you to get it. It's awesome. I'm a David Crowder freak. I love him. But this song, Remedy really sums up nicely what God's Word has for us today. But listen, picture this. I work out at the JCC. Picture me on the pre-chord machine listening to this song in the midst of the JCC. I couldn't help worship knowing I know the second Adam. I know him. And he's my remedy. He set me free. And I really live in him. Let us pray. And Father, thank you for sending your son, the second Adam, to come and to battle sin for us and to be a champion that's earned victory, earned your favor, that's earned life. The only way he could do it is he absorbed death on a cross and he became that curse in his own body. So the curse could be reversed. 
so that life could reign, so that death could be defeated. Father, now as we give our tithes and offerings, may they be a response to your victory, knowing you already love us, knowing that we're already justified in your sight. And for the one who comes in here not yet embracing Christ as champion, may today be the day. Oh, Spirit, fall upon us. Work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.